Welcome to Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between, the podcast from Bespoke Family. I'm Bex. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us as we tackle the ups and downs of life with children, helping you to get the best out of your time together. No rules, no judgment, just guidance. So grab a cuppa and let's get started with today's episode. So today's podcast, we are delighted to welcome Hannah Croft and we're going to be talking to Hannah all about breastfeeding. So hello, Hannah. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's our pleasure. Um, So first of all, I think it's probably easier if you explain who you are, (laughs) what you do um, and, you know, just a little bit about your background. It'd be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my name's Hannah and um, I live in um, Canterbury in Kent with my um, my husband and our two children. Um, The reason that we three know each other is through Norland College. So I trained as a Norland nanny um, quite a few years ago now. And um, I I worked as a nanny and with um, children and families before having my own babies. But once I had my own babies, I realised I had a difficult time breastfeeding both of them for different reasons. And um, it made me realise why breastfeeding support is so important. And it gave me a new um, motivation um, as to what I wanted to do when my children were a bit bigger. Um, So while both of my little ones were at home, um, I studied a way to become a IBCLC lactation consultant um, and I now, I, I passed, I passed the exam to be able to use the credential, um, nearly four years ago now. Um, so I now have my own private pa- practice offering feeding support to families, um, either in the, in the form of a home or home visit. So I go out and see families in their homes or I can offer support online. Um, and I also run a breastfeeding support group, um, once a week. So families can come and access feeding support that way as well. Um, so it's a really it's a really varied role because obviously everybody's situation with feeding is a little bit different. And my role is to help families feel empowered and informed to make the decisions around feeding that they want to make. Um, so that is my role ultimately is to help families feel supported in the decisions they're making. Oh, that makes me feel quite comforted. It's quite that's a lovely way to describe it. But um, can can you just, I'm not sure everybody will know immediately what a lactation consultant is. Can you just kind of yeah. briefly go through what, you know, what you would do and what, I, yeah, the challenges that people Absolutely. face kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree that, you know, I quite often say to people, I'm a lactation consultant. They say, oh, what? Because <laughs> unless you're in this world you have no idea that, you know, anybody needs any help with feeding, really. You just think, oh, the baby's born, you feed them, and that's that's it. Um, but actually, feeding can be a lot more complex for that than that for lots of reasons. Um, so my credential is, my, my full title is actually International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. So my, um, my qualification is an international qualification. And it's um, basically the highest level of feeding support qualification you can get. It's basically equivalent to a, a, a master's in terms of feeding support. So um, with a focus on um, breastfeeding support and lactation, but it also involves element of other types of feeding. So that's formula feeding or um, expressing and bottle feeding. It's, and then further down the line, it can involve starting solids and giving you know food to babies. Um, so it, it encompasses all elements of feeding um, for, that, for that family and baby. Um, in terms of challenges, I mean, feeding can come with all sorts of challenges, whether they we're talking about come kind of during during a pregnancy when families are thinking ahead to how they're going to feed their baby, if they know that there's going to be certain challenges um, around that due to kind of medication or maybe um, anatomy. Um, then once the baby's born, perhaps if the baby's not latching or there's issues around weight gain. Um, and, and then further challenges such as introducing solids or maybe teething, unwanted behaviour with feeding. Maybe then the parents go back to work and how you can continue to feed in the way that you're choosing to. Um, and then perhaps for some families, my job would also involve kind of winding down breastfeeding or feeding as well. You know, once a baby gets to a certain age, if the family want to move on from breastfeeding or, or formula feeding or whatever they're doing, that, that would very much come under the umbrella of my role as well. So it, it really does encompass all sorts of feeding for depending on the family's situation and circumstances. Do you find that people come to you and probably maybe come to you for one part of it and then they've kind of, you know, 
had that resolved because they've worked with you and everything else or do you find that sometimes actually it's that they come to you initially and then they just come back to you for all those stages because it is kind of an ongoing thing isn't it it's it, yeah. it's the pre-birth and then it's all of that stuff that goes you know right the way through do you know what that has really surprised me I didn't know that that you would deal with you know you would support families with right up to kind of feeding and teething and that and that kind of thing I really didn't realize that so that's yeah. a really interesting thing yeah did you think it was mainly like newborn stuff yeah like, I thought it was all be yeah I thought it would all be about um when your baby's born and you know like you said the latching and things like that so that's an that would be mm. interesting to hear you know if people you know come back and you know what what the the process is like with with you yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's a real mix. So I think there are some families that I help initially in the early kind of stages, um, and then I never hear from them, them again. And then I, on the other hand, I have families who we form a really kind of close relationship. It's you know when you're involved in somebody's, you both know when you're involved in somebody's life when they've just had a ba baby, you do form very intense, you know, close relationships, and so that that endures. Um, and stays and so you I, I might kind of walk in and out of that family's life at various points depending on what what kind of the situation and circumstances are so it may be that we you know we get the baby feeding just as the family would like whether you know whatever that looks like for them and then it might be that further down the line mum thinks about going back to work and she's keen to um, protect some parts of the feeding relationship so we might work together on a plan about how that can happen um, and then Yes, if, if further down the line again, she decides that actually it's time to stop feeding for whatever reason that I could be involved in that as well. So it really does kind of go full circle. Wow. And so in a way, obviously you assume, people may assume that they will mm -hmm. get the support for breastfeeding and mm. it's just out there and it's part, you know, what, how would someone kind of, know about finding a lactation consultant i think it's just one of those things that if you are struggling how do you know or you want advice but how do you know mm -hmm. where to go for that and get the right advice like you said yeah. you've taken a qualification that probably supersedes so many other things and so how you know how do people find out about that as such i think that hits a really big nail on the head in terms of what support we have currently you know nhs support in this country is that there isn't very much focus on those early weeks of having a newborn baby so there's a the you know the support that families do get is very much around the birth and the kind of planning for the birth and thinking about their options which is completely right and i'm in no way kind of taking away from that but I definitely feel there are gaps in kind of the preparation families are, are um, supported with in terms of thinking about that antenatal period, postnatal period. So when the baby's here, the baby's arrived, you've gone through the birth, it's not unusual for families to kind of think, oh my goodness, now what? You know, we've put so much emphasis and time into thinking about actually getting this baby out <laughs> that we hadn't stopped to think about the realities of actually having to look after it around the clock. Um, and so that's something that I always I feel very passionate about is helping families prepare for having a newborn baby, because let's face it, the baby's going to come out one way or the other, isn't it? And while absolutely we want families to be informed and empowered around that, in terms of kind of time periods, the birth is an absolutely minuscule bit compared to that baby's first year and all the kind of phases and changes your baby's going to go through. And you as a parent as well, you know, the... the um, we know that the brain adaptions that happen when you become a new parent are huge. And I don't think we talk enough about it. Um, so I think it's, it would be really, I think it's always really helpful for families to think ahead to feeding their baby. And in the same way, they're making a birth plan. Think about a feeding plan for those first few days. Think about how you would like to feed your baby and what that might look like and talk to those around you who are going to be supporting you. And have a look into what kind of other support is available to you locally and, and maybe, you know, phone lines, helplines, websites, that sort of thing as well. Because I think it's very easy to think that um, feeding feeding is going to, you know, come norm normally and naturally. You know, you just, the baby's born and, and on they go and that's that. And if that doesn't work, you just, feed, you know, bottle feed them and that's, that's you know, a good, a good alternative. But actually both types of feeding come with challenges. Um, and it doesn't always mean that just, you know, it's all going to fall into place. I think when families do in, encounter feeding issues, um, it can be quite um, 
it can be very challenging because it's easy for them to kind of reflect on that or something they're doing wrong and kind of internalize that that almost that you know parenthood has got off to a good start a bad start because something's not coming easily to them but actually the reality is that feeding can be complicated in the early days and it's having that support network around you in order to know who to go to if things are tricky I think it's also being very mindful of your support network and this isn't this is in no way you know everyone has different support networks but I think so many people have different opinions and I think in a way yeah particularly when it comes to feeding and potentially with breastfeeding I think people have heard things and think they know things and it's like oh you know you probably haven't produced enough or you haven't done this or the baby's got Mm. this latch or probably a tongue tie or it's this or it's you know and suddenly like with all new parents I'm sure anybody kind of listening will remember if they've had a baby already or listening now so many people have so many pieces of advice and I think sometimes you can hear things that aren't necessarily true or correct and I think that's when sometimes having someone like yourself who can give Mm -hmm. very defined kind of support in one area and you know you have the information can be so much more beneficial than taking bits from everyone when you are at your most emotional you are exhausted you're sleep deprived Mm -hmm. potentially and actually trying to make a rational decision around those things can be really really I've seen so many friends so many families finding it so hard and it's like just listen to one person potentially and just take that advice but what would you say is the most kind of like common misconceptions around breastfeeding oh I I think probably when people are told that the baby's maybe feeding too much um, and that immediately makes them doubt their own milk supply, their own ability to make milk and nurture their baby. I think the biggest thing that's misunderstood around breastfeeding particularly is that it's, it's more than just the milk. You know, breastfeeding is a tool that parents have at their kind of the end of their fingertips and it's absolutely fine to use breastfeeding as a tool so of course it's about getting milk into the baby's tummy and and the baby growing and getting the calories they need but breastfeeding is also a way that your baby's going to bond and feel close to you and maybe go to sleep um, help them poo it's it does so many things and it's absolutely fine for parents to use it as such it's not something you need to worry about if your baby's feeding too much or you know you're not making enough milk because the baby's going to feed for all sorts of reasons not just hunger i have to say when i had um the twins i breastfed for a little while but then you know for for various reasons i had to stop my son was taken to hospital and i just couldn't carry on feeding them but um one of the things that i didn't even realize and you saying about the fact that um you know people don't talk about what happens when you know it's all about making sure that those baby or babies come safely into the world they don't actually say mm-hmm. what happens when they do so I wanted to breastfeed but had literally no idea what to do I mean I didn't even know mm. that milk um didn't come in straight away I thought you know I'm gonna feed and that's probably sounds really naive no now you know now I know that but I just thought you know I would have breasts full of milk and I would just be able to feed them but, you know, that wasn't it. And then they didn't say, you know, what happened when the milk came in, you know, my emotions were all over the place. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just just, you know, found that really. And I just think from your point of view, it would be really useful to kind of know what you would say to, let's say, somebody like me that was pregnant and about to have. Yeah. Um, a baby or babies. And, you know, what happens? You know, What yeah, is yeah, the process? And I think that's another way that families are really kind of let down, you know, and, you know, men and women, we're not, we don't talk enough about actually how breasts work, about how making milk works. And when you think about actually the human species has survived on this mechanism for thousands and thousands of years, and yet we're not routinely taught about how making milk happens and how we can support a milk supply and why it's important that we do. And it's absolutely insane because there's no other kind of thing you'd go into in life without having some understanding of it or someone taking the time to explain it to you. So it's actually really cruel, isn't it, that we're expecting new families just to kind of take to this new skill at a time when they're tired and, um, you know, recovering from a big physical trauma, effectively. It's a very it's a very cruel thing to suddenly expect families to take on this extra, extra sort of skill as well mm. without having to have that preparation. So in terms of um, kind of antenatal support, which I do, I do support families with, 
interestingly, I do a lot of kind of breastfeeding debrief sessions for families who might be expecting a subsequent baby. And so we take some time to think through, talk through their previous feeding experience, because it may well be like, like you're saying, Bex, that actually they didn't, they didn't kind of get any education about feeding before that first baby arrived. And actually, it can almost be a bit of a trauma to look back and think about how difficult those first few days, weeks, months of feeding their baby was, because they weren't, they weren't prepared about what it was going to involve and how they could support themselves to do it. Um, so what I would, what we would talk about is how how your breasts make milk and how you can support that process and understanding what's likely to happen in those first few hours, days, weeks, months after your baby's born and how you can support yourselves to get feeding off to a good start. Um, so that might involve that you, you you said about that you don't necessarily don't have milk to begin with. It would be explaining actually that what your breasts do, um, what happens with your breasts from about midway through a pregnancy, so from about 20, 16, 20 weeks, something like that. Your breasts produce a substance called colostrum, and it's a very, very thick, concentrate form of breast milk. Um, and actually, each week of your pregnancy from that midpoint when the, the production begins, the, the makeup of the colostrum varies depending on the, that week of pregnancy. So the, the idea presumably would be from nature that if your baby were to be delivered at that stage, that colostrum is going to be tailored for what that baby needs in that week. Um, and actually what studies have shown is that for some women, collecting that colostrum in the last few weeks of pregnancy can be really helpful in terms of having a backup. So should the baby be born, baby or babies be born and not latch, you've got a kind of backup supply of this amazing colostrum to feed them, um, which gives you kind of a bit of a window of time should feeding not get off to a smooth start. So the colostrum is basically, because it is a concentrate form of, um, of breast milk, I like, I like to describe it, you know those stock cubes that you can get that are like very jelly-like that you <laughs> yeah. mix with the boiling water and that's what makes your stock. Effectively, that's what colostrum is. It's, it's, it's breast milk that's had a lot of the fluid sucked out, so you're left with this very thick, viscous substance baby when they're first born their tummy capacity is is relatively tiny they're only going to need small amounts of this colostrum and so because it's been made so concentrate they're going to get a great deal of all the antibodies and proteins and good stuff amazing stuff from the colostrum in small quantities and it's actually the delivery of your placenta and the, the rapid drop in progesterone which occurs as a result which triggers your body to to switch from making the colostrum to making the more mature voluminous milk and, and so that process happens for, for women who've birthed a baby and delivered a placenta. That happens regardless or not of whether you're choosing to breastfeed. That's a hormonal re response to birth. And for your body, it's that final part in the cycle of the pregnancy, delivery of the baby and feeding the baby. But what families can have a real positive impact on in those first few hours and days after their baby's born is actually to put the baby to the breast very frequently because by really stimulating your milk keeping the colostrum and the milk flowing we know that you're going to have more milk further down the line and i think that's a really important thing to understand that the more milk that's removed the more you're going to have breast milk supply will continue to work on a on a supply and demand basis so whatever's removed your body's going to know to replace wow so cool it's so cool like the whole <laughs> thing so about cool. the colostrum you know adapting but it's so funny because I obviously, I come from a farming background and it's hilarious because the one thing that like my dad and also, you know, James and everyone will talk about is the importance of getting the colostrum. If my, you know, if baby, won't, baby animal, obviously, won't <laughs> feed, they're going to do everything to encourage getting that colostrum down to that, to that animal because it's that first, you know, that's the key part. And, um, mm. And it's so interesting and it's, you know, we have conversations and weirdly just before we came on, I was talking to James and he was like, what's this podcast about? So I explained, he's like, it's all, all about oxytocin. That's all, you know, and I was just like, there we go. Very good. <laughs> um, and, and I, um, but the funniest part was he's like, yeah, we just, you know, might have to give a jab to a, a cow or something to get their milk to come in if it's not happening. And I'm like, yeah, no, we can't do that for a woman. That's not okay. That's not a possible one. He's like, really? And he absolutely couldn't believe that that wasn't an option. And um, but how, you know, the importance of our hormones, like Beck said, you know, they're raging at that point, aren't they? They're all yeah. over the place. Yeah. 
but the oxytocin is kind of one of those key hormones absolutely so how do we get the oxytocin going around well i think i think that's a, a, another really valid point is that if you think about how what's happened to our kind of views around birth you know birth has become almost a bit like an emergency hasn't it you know we go to, it, it, it's it's possible that you might go to hospital to have a baby and generally you go to hospital if you're ill you don't necessarily go to hospital to have kind of a normal process which is what birth is and so there there is an argument that actually you know having a hospital birth actually it, it really diminishes all those positive hormones that we need to get flowing in order to help breastfeeding get off to a good start you know we know when we were all living in caves and to kind of delivering babies in caves, we would have then been left alone to really bond with the baby. So things would have been calm and dark and quiet. And we'd been given space in order to get to know our babies. And if you think about what happens in hospitals, you know, they're very loud, they're very busy. There's lots of people coming in and out. There's lights on. It's, it's not a great environment to get that oxytocin flowing. And so I quite often say to people, you know, when you're just getting to know your baby, think about the conditions that you made that baby in and try and copy that for getting to know your baby. Yeah. Oh, the conversations you must have had, Hannah. <laughs> yeah. We really want to, we want it to be, you know, we want this natural, amazing thing to happen, but it's not just, it's just not going to happen if you're feeling kind of self-conscious and you've got various people coming in and out of the room. We really want to create this kind of nurturing, warm, almost cave-like environment to be able to help feeding get off to a good start. And, you know, we have very high rates of kind of um, births where there's intervention, like rightly so, you know, we want healthy mums and healthy babies at the end of the process. But babies, you know, birth interventions can have consequences in terms of a baby's feeding instincts and reflexes. So if a mum has had pain relief during labour, it's, it's important to understand that actually some of that medication may well affect the baby and may mean that the baby's born quite sleepy, um, and with those instincts and, and reflexes kind of dulled as a result of the, the pain medication. And sometimes just being able to understand that, and I'm in no way saying don't have pain medication, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do to get through labour, but it's about understanding what impact that might have on your baby and how yeah. you can support your feeding journey as a result of that in um, order that once your baby kind of comes to a bit more, breastfeeding's been protected and you can kind of pick it, pick it up again. And I don't think that, you know, once again, the, the education of that side of things that I remember, you know, not, I, I wasn't told anything that you've just said about this, you know, and mm. ended up having had an emergency C-section, had every single um, medication known to man, you know, epidurals, pethidine, the lot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was very, very stressful. And then you mm. kind of go, well, you know, why are my babies not latching? And why can't I, you know, why can't I do it? So you, we ended up collecting the colostrum in a little um a syringe thing syringe. you know to try and get it in them and oh my goodness it was so much so stressful it definitely mm. wasn't mm. cave-like let me tell you it was no. super no. uncave-like um <laughs> and I, I yeah it also wasn't recreating how they were made either i don't think <laughs> definitely <laughs> not <laughs> but it but, but you know it's... that 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 kind of thing makes you just really sit up and go actually that could, you know, lots of fam lots of parents probably feel like they've really failed in those first, mm -hmm. but ha but potentially that's because they don't know that they need to be relaxed and all those things that to but make also it to happen. Give themselves a break, isn't it? It's like mm -hmm. yeah. I think there's yeah. so much pressure on mm -hmm. everything now to do. You know, we've talked about it in probably most of our podcasts that there's just so much pressure around parenting and getting it right and whether you have yeah. the right pregnancy and whether you have the right birth and all of those things and then raising these little people and I yeah. think you know everyone talks about breastfeeding being the most natural thing in the world which absolutely is it is natural but it doesn't mean it's the easiest and I think no, no I totally, totally agree and you know it's it's really hard work and it's really you know it's a big thing yeah. for a parent to t a mum to take on and everyone mm. around them to support it's it's not just a click mm. your fingers and here you go i just feed my baby or babies no, no. It no. it's really really full on and it does have those huge you know peaks and troughs and for some people some people do find it 
much easier. I think even people who say they found it easy, there will be points in their breastfeeding journey that are tricky. You know, you throw in something like mastitis or you throw in, you know, like the teething and the biting. (laughs) Yeah. You know, all those sorts of things. And I, it, it Mm. isn't easy. And I think giving parents or particularly, you know, mums the permission to go, do you know what? It's okay if this doesn't go how everyone thinks it should. I've got to give myself a break. Mm-hmm. I've just gone through a lot and I'm going through a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it's unfortunate that there is a lot of emphasis put on, you know, we would be doing a misservice if we didn't educate families about why breastfeeding is important and why breastfeeding matters. But the reason, you know, why we let families down is because the support isn't there routinely for them to be able to feed the babies mm. in the, you know, their baby babies in the way that they are choosing to. And the difficult, you know, one of the difficult things is, and what often surprises families, is that once your baby is born, for many women, it's almost like this biological drive takes over, and that you know their instincts are kind of screaming at them, "I've got to feed this baby, I've got to feed this baby," and it can be really challenging for them to be experiencing these this kind of dry, yeah physiological drive to nurture their babies in this way and yet without having the support and the information and those individuals around them that are going to help them do that I think I've just it's also that whole thing of it's related to them and it's on them mm-hmm. and I think that probably yeah. can feel quite you know the pregnancy is on that one person and then suddenly breastfeeding is and I think that's that can be quite hard for seeing everybody kind of looking. Is that your cat? Can you hear? I'm sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, but I think it's watching everybody kind of go, oh, you know, you're doing that. And it's not to mm. see that it's you failing or you not getting it right, I think is, again, the key bit, isn't it? Mm. It's just, but how can then how can talking about that kind of it all being on you how can you get Mm. you know partners and extended family involved with breastfeeding when actually it is you that's having to do it physically to do it yeah yeah absolutely I think and that's where that feeding plan comes into its own because if you've been able to have those conversations ahead of time with your partner your mum whoever's supporting you you can take some time together to learn about how they can best support you to to get feeding off you know, Mm -hmm. the way that you'd hoped as well. So whether that is, you know, your partner having a list of of people to contact on on, on their phone or knowing some reputable websites or, you know, you know, the local breastfeeding counsellor who can come and help you or whatever that might be. It's about recognising that as with all stages of parenthood, this isn't something that we're necessarily supposed to be doing on our own. You know, it takes a village to raise a child and, and therefore being able to access that support in a timely way can make a massive, massive difference than, than families feeling kind of isolated and, and alienated by not being able to do this thing that they feel that should be normal and natural and that they're letting their baby down and letting themselves down and, and actually just kind of normalising that feeding can get off, can be tricky at the beginning, but it doesn't mean it's going to be like that the whole way through. Sometimes it's, it's a bit like learning a dance together. Um, so in terms of kind of practical support that can be helpful, you know, although if it's, if it's the mum, physically the one feeding the baby there's loads of other jobs that dad or the other you know support can help with so whether that's changing the nappies or bathing the baby or pacing in the middle of the night taking the baby for a walk making the mum you know mothering the mother you know making her some food and some drinks and keeping the visitors at bay and all those other things um there are so many ways that you can bond with a baby other than feeding and Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's it's misconstrued that actually you know food is the only way to show love and it's just not the case no. So, you know, obviously that is one of the benefits is uh, of breastfeeding is bonding with the baby. But mm. what are the other benefits of to breastfeeding a baby? I mean, there's so many, I'm sure. But Yeah, and I, I sometimes wonder if it's better to kind of turn the turn it round and rather than talk about the benefits of breastfeeding, more to talk about the, the risks of not breastfeeding. Because actually, if we if we t- approach it from a different level and think actually, Breastfeeding is a normal way to feed a baby. You know, that's what, that's how we will survive. That's kind of how nature intends us to be fed. It kind of, by talking about the benefits, it almost sets breastfeeding up on a pedestal, doesn't it? And and actually maybe that's not realistic for families. So rather let's talk about kind of 
the risks of not having breast milk, of not being breastfed in terms of immunity and um, and, and, and bonding and um, healthy biome and reduced, ch reduced childhood illnesses. And that's just, you know, a small selection of the, the things for the baby. There are, um, you know, other thing, other reasons for the mother. You know, there are reasons that your body anticipates you to breastfeed, and we know that breastfeeding lowers the risks of certain cancers and um, illnesses later in life, reduces the risks of osteoporosis and that sort of thing. Um, so it, it's not, it's not. I, I feel very strongly it's not about making breastfeeding kind of feel superior or elusive. It's about normalising it and talking about the risks of not having breast milk as opposed to the benefits of. Although is talking about having about the risk of not having breast milk quite a frightening mm. prospect to somebody who either chooses not to breastfeed for, for whatever reason or mm -hmm. isn't able to breastfeed for again for whatever reason because I think if I if I heard the word the risk of not breastfeeding means that x y and z I think I would mm. go oh my goodness that's actually that's scary I'm a bit worried about Yeah, it this. ramps up the pressure even mm. more, doesn't it? I totally agree mm. with you. But equally, if we don't give families the information, the correct information, you know, in the, you know we know from science, we know from research, it, we're not, we're, we're sort of, um, we're not, we're not giving them the full information they need to be able to make the decisions about feeding their baby. And it's not to say that all is lost if your baby doesn't have breast milk but this is the this is this is the normal way to, to feed a baby and 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 the normal way to grow a baby mm. okay i mean yeah i just think perhaps we need to i mean it is really hard when you're having conversations like this because it is so emotive um absolutely and you know when you like we've just said you know when you have baby or babies mm. um your hormones actually can do some really quite frightening things to you um mm. you know mm. and, and i think it's yeah it's it's a really tricky one and and one that you know obviously that's you know your job is to support those families which is good mm. to know that there are people out there that can actually provide that support so yeah mm. yeah cool. I, I think there's also important conversations to have around the fact that breastfeeding doesn't have to be all or nothing like we're not talking about a baby needing to have a hundred percent breast milk we know that even small amounts of breast milk are going to have a positive impact for mum and for baby. Um, and actually combination feeding can be a really um, valuable option for families when it comes to feeding our baby. You know, we're fortunate we've got formula as a backup. You know, we, we generally can, can, um, we can make up formula safely and, and reduce the risks of using that as much as possible by following the, the guidance about how to make it up safely. So it's not to say that actually formula is bad, you must not use formula, but it's about recognising that any breast milk you can give is going to be beneficial and helpful and worth it. Mm -hmm. And so would you, if you were combination feeding, is mm. that, does your body then produce what it needs to based on the amount that um, you are feeding the baby, let's say? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So what happens with, with breastfeeding and your breast milk supply is in, during the first four to six weeks of breastfeeding, your baby takes a little bit more milk every day. So it, it kind of ramps up your supply. And then from about four to between four and six weeks and six months, if you were to be exclusively breastfeeding, and that's when you sort of start to think about introducing solids, the daily volume of milk that your baby's going to take is more or less stable. So after that four to six week point, you don't need to kind of make more and more and more and more milk. It's oh. kind of set. Mm -hmm. So during those four to six weeks, your body's kind of ultra responsive to that demand and supply process. And that's the key time to kind of build up your supply. But once you're at that point, you've got a bit of flexibility. So if you decide actually you're going to you're going to move more to combination feeding and kind of maybe do a mix of both, you've got the flexibility and the options to do that. And, you know, we, we, it's also really helpful in terms of mums that maybe have going to, are going to genuinely have a low supply. You know, maybe if they've got a hormonal condition going on or there's a reason they're not going to be able to make a full milk supply for their baby. It can be really empowering to really um, validate any milk she's able to give her mm. baby and make for her baby and recognise the value of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also it's, you know, if, so I've seen, you know, so many parents actually find that they can go on and express and give express milk for a lot longer you know and that Absolutely. they can get things for returning to work or whatever it might be but actually mm. it's it is a very you know and again some people can't express and find it very difficult but I think yeah. there's lots of options around all feeding mm -hmm. options isn't there it's it's absolutely you know, tailoring it to you 
Exactly. And that's the most important thing that from in terms of for my role, if a family wants to exclusively breastfeed, I'm there with them. I'm, you know, whatever they want to do, I will support them till the cows come home to get to that goal if that's what they want to do and it's realistic and we can work towards that. But you know, if I'm supporting a family and they say, actually, it would just be nice to give the baby 30 mils of breast milk a day. That would be a really good goal if we can work towards that. You know, I'm I'm all over that as well. It's what's it's what's important to that family. And just I think because I was I what motivated me to go into this line of work was struggles with my, as I said, my own children. I look back now and I think I wish I had known what I know now when they were babies because it it would have helped me so much and it would have really taken the pressure off myself that I was doing something wrong. But you don't know what you don't know, do you? And I think I, 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 it's it, it's very difficult. And, and, and like Speck said, it's so emotive, the whole topic of feeding. Mm. Um, and, and women carry a lot of that responsibility themselves, which isn't always fair or, or right. Mm. If um, breastfeeding is painful... Yeah. What kind of things, I mean, I know I can't expect you to diagnose because obviously I imagine it's painful in different ways, but just in yeah. general, if breastfeeding is painful, what kind of things can people do to kind of help with that? Well, ideally we wouldn't want breastfeeding to be painful. You know, we want breastfeeding to be a nice experience. We want to keep that oxytocin flowing. We want mum and baby to be relaxed and calm and chilled. And that's not going to happen if someone's tense and in pain. Generally, what causes a what causes breastfeeding pain is a shallow latch. So, one of the first things that you would what I would do if I was speaking to a mum who's experiencing pain during breastfeeding is to revisit the latch and make sure that the baby was appropriately positioned and attached to the breast in order to minimise the pain for the mum, but also the effectiveness of the feed for the baby. Because I think. One of the other things that's often misunderstood about breastfeeding is, you know, mums feel that they have to kind of sit there and grit their teeth and think, oh, this food will be over, this food will be over. But actually what can happen for the baby if the, if the latch isn't comfortable for the mum, it can mean that because the nipple's not quite in the right place in the baby's mouth, the baby doesn't get a full feed in the way that we'd like them to. And that has an impact, therefore, on the baby's weight gain and the mum's milk supply because it's not being effectively driven. And that's why it's really important to optimise breastfeeding as much as you possibly can for both parties right okay that's interesting i've seen something on your instagram is it to do with the apple and that's a indication yes. you show with the latch yes. on the bite on an apple so yeah see? because because it's obviously difficult on the on a podcast but if you imagine you know if you imagine a boob lots of lots of people think that you breastfeed in the same way that you'd bottle feed that you just put the nipple into the baby's mouth and that's kind of what what you're after but in fact it's called breastfeeding because we want the baby to have a big old mouthful of breast tissue and we're what we're tr trying to get to is that the the, the nipple will get to the soft palate in the baby's mouth and if you feel in your mouth with your tongue your soft palate is actually a long way up and back into the roof of your mouth. So you imagine how much boob mm. we've got to get into that baby's mouth in order to get that nipple to where it's going to be comfortable for mum and effective in terms of flow for the baby. And that's why the way that the baby is positioned on the mother's body is just as important as the way that their mouth comes to the nipple. Um, it's, the positioning is just is, is so key. And I would say that 98% of the, the pain issues that I come across, it's very often quite a quick fix in terms of positioning to kind of make things more comfortable and sustainable. Yeah, and I'm sure lots of um, people who are experiencing pain would be really interested to hear that, wouldn't they? I mean, I think, and so it's kind yeah. of moving on from that, where are the best places to get information and support about breastfeeding? I think it's really important to know who's supporting you. So, um, when you're if you're having if you're having a hospital birth or a birth center birth find out who's going to be there to support you with feeding or ask if they've got any ibclcs on staff because we really are the kind of creme de la creme of feeding support and unfortunately not all nhs trusts routinely employ ibclcs um and the the difficult thing is that midwives don't do a huge amount of feeding training you know they have such a broad scope of everything else they need to cover you know they need to look after the mum and the baby and all the everything else that comes with that and so they do a very minimal amount of breastfeeding training so it's only if they've kind of been self-motivated enough often through having their own children that they realize why feeding support is so important and kind of pursue that as a as a kind of add-on to the rest of their profession you know their career um so so find out who's going to be available in the hospital to support you and also find out what's available locally to you whether that is looking up um 
who you know if you've got any lactation consultants locally to you if there's any breastfeeding support groups you know peer support groups can be amazingly effective and and the research has shown that actually mums who've breastfed supporting other mums can be a really valid and valuable way in order to support families with feeding um, because it's not always it, you don't always need the kind of skill of a lactation consultant it's, it, you know if we're talking about basic things like positioning you would hope that a peer supporter who's done the training and spent the time learning and educating themselves around feeding it may well be that that they are going to be the perfect person to help mum and baby optimize the positioning um so i think it's really as, as i said at the beginning it's really worth investigating what support is available to you locally even if you know let's hope you don't need it but just in case you did assume you will mm-hmm. you know it's kind of that thing of isn't it what's the saying um plan for the worst hope for the best yeah well i mean and i think mm-hmm. that's that's a really important thing to kind of remind people of isn't it that you might not be presented with this information you might actually have to go and seek it out and when if you yeah. if you've if it's your first baby then actually take advantage of that time that you have potentially to to do okay. some research i think that's a really important thing to say yeah and i would say mm. to do yeah. the research when you're at your most you know vulnerable or emotional maybe is probably not the easy because you can't get your head around it whereas if you've gone into it and like you say you've got your list of go-tos if you don't use mm-hmm. them doesn't matter but if you've got them mm. you can just make yeah. that call and it's there and it's done and it's so much yeah. less you know stressful in a lot of ways mm. which again will yeah. have a knock-on <laughs> That's right. into yeah. feeding anyway Absolutely. You know, it's almost as if, you know, if you think about the energy and time that families might put into choosing their pram, match that with the the time and effort you're putting into putting your postnatal support in place. That is so true. Yeah, Yeah, I remember the research I did on my pram. Literally zero (laughs) on breastfeeding. (laughs) Yeah, but how many prams did you end up with, Pegs? Oh, yeah, I think I ended up with four eventually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I did have quite a few prams. But I'm telling you, with twins, it's not easy to get a good pram. No, <laughs> I bet. You don't realise how hard getting a double buggy up a curb is, let me tell you. <laughs> I think, and I'm not in any way, you know, knocking the NHS here, but I think families think that they're going to get like a complete package from the NHS. And that's it's not the case. So so do spend some time thinking of, you know, thinking outside the box mm. and looking what other options are available for you. Even if you are having to pursue them privately, you know, people people very, you know, very readily pay for newborn photo shoots and that sort of thing. So maybe think about investing some of that money instead in postnatal support, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a lactation consultant, but maybe even like investing in some food delivery services for the first few weeks or hire a cleaner to come in. So you can really get to know your baby and, and be kind to yourself while you recover from birth and, and make this adjustment to being a parent. That's good advice. And I think also it's if, if you have a friend who's having a baby, like, you know, gift them a lactation consultant or whatever if that's what yeah. you think they might need it's much better than the yeah. 500th outfit um yes. absolutely you're going to make a big difference you know i've always tried to make sure that anything i gift is useful um yeah. comes from the career that we have but i think you know it is that sort of thing isn't it it's like actually can you help yeah. that person and it's use that money that you might you know think oh i just don't want to use it for that it i'm not going to need it it's like do it it, it will mm. be the biggest mm. benefit and the yeah. other thing i would Absolutely. say this is only because some friends of mine have recently had babies is the other thing of having one person who you can go to hence like a lactation consultant or whatever it might be it actually means you have that one person there's some brilliant health visitors out there there's brilliant you know gps and all those sorts of things but you're not going to see mm-hmm. the same person each and every time because of yeah. workloads and everything else and so what you find you're doing is continually repeating your story and then someone yeah. else comes with another option and rather than seeing you through what yeah is actually happening and i think listening to friends who keep going back for different advice each time it's like someone else gives a different mm-hmm. piece and they're like i don't actually know mm-hmm. what to do now because no. the last one told me this mm. and then this one told very me this. confusing it is yeah. And, yeah and actually it feels I, I, a bit like a fail you know, again you're like oh 
did I do that wrong? And should I have done this? And yeah, yeah. So how th- how do you know who's right? Mm. And so I think having one consistent person is hugely. It beneficial. is unfortunate if you can't access that, though, isn't it? I mean, that's the that's the really mm. sad thing if you don't. But I mean, yeah. you know, like you said, Claire, there are really good good um, health visitors and and things like that. There are. Just, and uh, so yeah but there's so much online as well there's so mm. much information like following people like Hannah and everyone else you know mm. there is that free information that we've never been privy to before no. in a lot of ways mm. you know we are very lucky to have social media in that respect I think it's and again I would always say choose your key kind of accounts accounts don't yeah. go across yeah. everyone because of, again it would just be mind-boggling yeah but is. i think it's yeah. just go with a trusted account and and keep going with keep, it because i think yeah. it can really help just yeah and, and i think as well i mean it, obviously this is difficult to do when you're a new parent and everything that comes with that but but ask for ask for the research behind what you're being told because the trouble with you know breastfeeding and new parenting the whole kind of time is that it's so led by anecdote isn't it and so people's own experience and actually what they did you know people like to tell you what they did and are kind of almost like to justify the decisions they made um so there's a there's a there's a way that you can kind of tactfully say well I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that what you did worked but I'd be really interested to read some more about that and kind of you know make my own decision from that mm. um because you can't you can't argue with the the kind of research and the evidence base um and as long as you've been, you know, you've read that information, you can make the best decisions you can with, with that information. That's very true. Mm-hmm. So before we sum up and just kind of mm. tell people where they can follow you and all of that kind of thing, can you tell us three things that would surprise people to know about breastfeeding? Um, I think number one would be that lots of people struggle with it at the start and at various stages. And you're absolutely not on your own if that's the case for you. Um, it's it's not a reflection on you as a parent. It's nothing that is probably nothing you're doing wrong. It's about that you need you need to, to find some support and somebody to kind of buoy you through this stage. Um, the second thing is that uh, you know breast breast milk is constantly changing to meet the na- needs of your baby. So it's a very personalised individual thing between mum and baby, um, and and that you know you can't you can't that can't be recreated and that's what makes breast breast milk so um Mm. valuable and um the the third thing would be that it's absolutely fine to continue breastfeeding as long as it suits mum mum and baby and although the world world health organization recommends breast exclusive breastfeeding for six months and then they they go on to say and and onwards you know two years and beyond whatever you can give your baby is valuable you know you hear people say i only managed two weeks but you did two weeks you know you gave your baby two weeks of breast milk that's amazing so let's not minimize what what families are doing and the efforts Mm. we're going to 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 nurture and nourish our babies i think that's a really important message to give actually Mm. really good um so we um were very lucky to have you record um your guide to breastfeeding for us so that is um on the website and uh, people can download that. So that's a really, really important one. And that is also bundled with some of our other newborn um, webinars. So that's, you know, a real bargain if you want to um, do some research before you have your baby or babies, that's a really good kind of package to to get um, get your hands on, so to speak. Um, and then can you just um, say what your, where, where we can find you on social media, Hannah? Yeah, of course. I'm I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, on Instagram, I'm Hannah Croft IBCLC, and if you search for Hannah Croft IBCLC breastfeeding support, you'll find me on Facebook. So we need um, to say I say it really slowly. IB IBCLC. It's International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. I always get those letters mixed up, so I just need yeah. to. I just yeah. want to make sure that we said it slowly, so that people could actually listen. So that's good. It is a mouthful, isn't it? It is. No, but that's just like the just like the baby in the breast. There we go. That's why yeah. <laughs> we'll remember that. Oh, good one. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add about you know where people can find things or? do you think that's i mean following you i think i would say is an absolute top recommendation if you're you want to oh thank you i think 
I think there are some fab IBCLCs on Instagram. So mm -hmm. have a look around, um, speak to your friends, see who they follow um, and try and go for somebody who's got that credential mm -hmm. um, because actually anybody can set themselves up as a lactation consultant. That that title isn't protected. Right. You really need to look for somebody with all the letters um, to, to be reassured that they've got this qualification. And actually locally, you, you're probably better to find somebody local as well if you, if it was somebody that you yeah. want to use to help. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can If you can go onto the... Um, lactation consultants of great britain website mm -hmm. you can have a look on there and you can type in your postcode and it will come up with who who's local to you okay um so that's that's a, a no, good that's way to find some local support as well yeah well thanks so much hannah for giving up your time and speaking to us i know that it's going to be a really useful and uh, i'm sure very popular podcast so thanks i hope again. so i hope so well, thank you for having me. I know feeding can be such an emotive subject. So, um, you know, thank you for, for giving me the, the space and time to listen. And, and yeah, hopefully this will be great support to somebody. Yeah, and I think there's more episodes in there. I think it, we can Definitely. certainly look at more specific topics of whether it's, you know, breastfeeding with teething or whether it is actually when people mm -hmm. are looking to go back to work or even looking to stop breastfeeding and how to do that. Yeah. So there's plenty yeah. more that we could talk about. Great. But for now, thanks ever so much, Hannah. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. That's everything for today. Thanks for listening. If there's something you'd like us to talk about, we'd love you to get in touch and let us know. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Bespoke Family or head to our website. The links are in our show notes. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode. And please give us a rating or review if you like what you hear. We're Bex and Claire, and we'll be back soon with another episode of Newborn to Team and everything in between. See you then.